right, guys. Welcome to Four Guys in a Comic. So I have with me my uh, counterparts. I got Mike and Rusty with me. Matt's in the background. And uh, guys, how's it been going this week? Hanging Great. in there. It's been all right. Mm-hmm. Mike, you sound so enthusiastic. One step at a time. One step at a That's time. That's my motto. I hear you. I hear you, bro. Man, that's, it's a good motto. Yeah. But, you know, for this week, I figured let's let's talk about some women in comics. Let's talk about, like, the sexual revolution in comics, for a good example, and all the changes oh that it's brought about. Yes. Let's get deep. One step at a time. That's what she said. <laughs> well, so, starting that off, what, who do you, when you think of, like, the first hero uh in comics the first female hero who do you think of wonder woman wonder woman yeah wonder woman wonder woman yep well can you tell me what does wonder woman a lie detector test and a blood pressure cuff all have in common i don't know what is it no no guess they were no. all created by the same person william moulton marston can you believe that this man it was just something else he did so much in his lifetime you know the yeah. blood pressure cuff we, you know we've all gone to the hospital had the bp cup put on well for inventing that led him into inventing the first lie detector and and he was such a pilgrim in women's uh rights and feminism which was a big deal back in the 1940s and he felt uh, that women, you know, basically had something different, um, a different makeup about them than men. So he used his lie detector tests and his different ways of getting truths from people in, uh, how do I want to say, it? in some of the ex social experiments that he did, finding that in the end, women were basically more reliable, honest, trustworthy than men. And coming up with all this stuff, he decided to basically create this hero wonder woman out of all all of his you know experience and testing and everything that he's done in life so pretty cool and little yeah. story about him i thought no doubt didn't he um didn't him and his wife live with like his mistress or something yeah they had some kind cool. of weird thing like that yeah where he was polygam or i guess he was a swinger i guess polyamorous yeah. polyamorous yeah. that's a good way to put it yeah yeah it was interesting yeah. definitely yeah, a, was. definitely an interesting guy yeah definitely very very much so you know, I put a poll out there earlier in the week about uh, who are some of uh, people's favorite women throughout the, you know, comics. You know, I, I broke it down simply from like silver, golden age, bronze age, uh, current, modern, even India throughout there. So what do you think? What are, Before I even give the answer to this, what were some of your favorite eras in women in, in comics? For me personally, I like the late 80s and early 90s before it got really over-sexualized. <laughs> like, really over-sexualized. Um, I feel like there was a lot of diversity with the women back then. Um, you know, nowadays we have our female characters turning into Thors and whatnot, whatever. But back then, I mean, there was just like a wide array of different kinds of uh, women in uh, comics. I mean, the biggest... Uh, group of them were probably in the x-men but um yeah what about you nova yeah that's a tough one for me i think i think usually when i thought of i guess women in comics it was usually the x-men females because they were always so i don't know they're always like the main females that were showing up in marvel and there's like 
obviously Mary Jane and Gwen Stacy, but I never have, I can't think of like an era in which I thought um, female characters were like getting pushed more or were doing better. Um, I guess now there's far more females in comic books than, uh, than back, you know, any decade in the past. But yeah, it's, it's a tough one for me to even choose because it's, I don't know, I don't think there's been a decade that's really done a good job of um, standing out in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if you look through the decades, you know, really like the 40s and the 50s, there was basically, you know, your women are secretaries and just minor people in the background. Damsels in distress. Was, yes, exactly. It wasn't until later on, you know, really in the 70s, the, the Bronze Age, and that is where the poll went. It was just a staggering amount of people that believed that the women in comics really shone the brightest in Bronze Age. And, you know, I, I kind of had to sit back and think about that. Why? Why do I feel that? And why do, is, does everybody else feel that? And I think both of you just already, you know, put the, the nail on the head in regards to who and why. It's because of Chris Claremont. Claremont's women, basically, in the Bronze Age. You know, Storm, Jean Grey, Kitty Pride, you know, in the X-Men. But outside the X-Men, Miss Marvel, Spider-Woman, Misty Knight, you know, all those characters that he did, all of a sudden you know have been were given responsibility were basically characters that we grew into and started to love as readers you know we started to really you know get to know those characters a lot more than we saw say in the silver age when you had people like i mean come on wasp you know what'd she do basically in the x-men back at that time it was just basically oh i'm so in love and da 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 you know it was just a huge change and switch in the pendulum back in bronze age you know, feminists and movements and everything else really brought that to light. So, your yeah. thoughts on that? I need to read more Bronze Age. I know, like, what I've read in Justice League and stuff, there was, you know, Black Canary was showing up and um, Hawk Girl and all these other characters. So, but yeah, I think I think definitely that it was Claremont. You know, he's created all these, like, staple female characters and really developed a lot of them to the point where, like, Kitty Pride is a lot of people's favorite character now, thanks to him. Magic is great. Um, you know, Storm, the list, like every female X-Men is, uh, you know, he, he played a big part in. So I can see that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. You know, then, you know, from Bronze Age, you know, uh, people, I think that was the next up in the poll was the current. A lot of people seem to be liking what's going on these days in the comics, you know, Thor being a female now and everything else that's involved with it. Personally, I don't think I like it too much, to tell you the truth. To me, it's just instead of coming up with new characters, they're kind of reinventing what's already been done, reinventing the wheel, I guess you can say. I mean, would you guys agree or disagree with that? Somewhat agree. Um, uh, depends. I'll say this. Yeah. I'll say this, man. There's there's characters like um, Livewire and Faith over at Valiant that are awesome. You know, they're, yep. they, they were there in the 90s. I don't know. I think Livewire was as well, but... You know, they're just great characters. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, I, we all know what company we're talking about here, but yes. um, I definitely think there has been a far greater push um, for female characters. I mean, they're not books that I would read. Um, so I, I don't know, like on the beatable Squirrel Girl, I'll never touch that. I know a lot of men like Gwenpool as well, but like, I, I guess I should try it. I'm just sort of judging based on the fact that it's a real gimmicky character that I can't. Yeah. I'm just not into, but um, yeah, I mean, there's been some changes and, that not a lot of people right, are very happy about. 
and that's exactly what it is to me the only gimmicky one that's out there that isn't that's actually pretty well done is uh the miss marvel oh well miss Mar- i don't really think that kamala is really gimmicky i think that no, they did no, a really really saying. good job yeah. job with her she uh you know and that was something like it wasn't necessarily they're taking an old character and giving it a new identity kind of thing but it was they were passing the mantle down to someone else because the character that was in place moved up in the world you know Mm -hmm. it wasn't just like oh we're just gonna strip this character in this no no no. there there was someone it was passed down and it's like a new generation of uh character um some a guy that was kind of like that uh in a way uh was spider-man with miles he kind of passed it on to him and he's doing like his own thing i mean he's still a hero but i don't think of peter parker spider-man as the same spider-man we grew up with he's adult responsible spider-man now i mean he's always been responsible but he's like I don't know. He, he's got his own business. He's, he's married. Up. He has a kid. He's grown up and everything. He passed it on to someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I agree. But uh, you're touching basically a, a minute ago on uh, some indie. You know, Fate. There's a good example of really a strong feminine character in independent comics that seems to be doing pretty well. Uh, how much Faith have you guys read? I've never read a Faith book. I've read like her appearances and stuff, but I I'm not up to date with her current ongoing. I read like the the six issue miniseries they initially had for her, which was great. Mm-hmm. Had a lot of fun with that one, but I haven't read like her current ongoing series, which I think is at like issue fifteen or something. So something I'm pretty like far that, behind. Yeah. It's really popular. Mike, I, I, yeah, Mike, I'm in the same boat with you. You know, I started off with some of it. I just couldn't keep going with it. Um, I could see where uh, females that read comics, you know, can really get into it. And enjoy it uh, oh, quite a bit. I should clarify. I haven't read it on because there haven't been any more hardcovers for it. So <laughs> that's that's the only <laughs> reason why I I'm I really enjoyed the six issue miniseries. So I think I would pick up another hardcover volume of it. But it's just not out yet. I'm hundred percent sure it will be out sometime soon though. Well, it's interesting because I was reading a lot of Valiant this past weekend, and they keep going into like the future where there's all these. Um, females that take over i think eric's daughter takes over at in some point in the future she becomes like the exo man of war and you know i think bloodshot's currently with um with i don't know who i've seen like pictures of some some young female that he's supposedly training or maybe he's saving her i mean there's all there was all these there were all these changes happening but again it was sort of like yeah 4001 ad if our continuity ever gets that far this person will be this person or you know what i mean Mm mm-hmm yeah. So there's always that sort of elseworld element to it that, um, you know, is interesting. But, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. It's kind of cool. No, it is. It definitely is. So what do you guys think makes a strong female character? They can't be forcefully sexualized, if that's mm-hmm. if that's a way to put it. Like, uh, you know, Power Girl is kind of forcefully sexualized with her boob window and everything else i mean it's still a cool character but it's like or even going back to that 90s thing again when you see your like uh what is it gen 13 and stuff where it's all bendy giant boobed women and stuff that's way that's no but some a woman that's independent that can you know 
she realizes what she has and what she doesn't have. One of the things that I want to say is I, I know everyone thinks Squirrel Girl is dumb, but as a character herself, she's kind of like that. She realizes and plays off for advantages and disadvantages as a woman. Um, another one that I know is probably kind of a, a weird thing to bring up, but Harley Quinn as well. Harley Quinn, they, they took the character away from you know, the sidekick role, made her a main character, um, gave her a personality and everything else, even though it's basically like Deadpool. And I think they made that character like a good representation of an independent character that can, you know, not take herself so seriously, but, you know, still is strong or whatever. Um, another one that I thought was a good one is, um, that's a good example, is Storm from the X-Men. I think Storm is the definition of what a strong, independent female character should be in comics. She was a leader. She has her relationships, and she's not overly, like, you know, overly done. Or It's not like she's walking around in a thong or anything like that. Um, you know, and she's, a, like, a, the main thing is she's a leader. She's been the leader of the X-Men how many times now? Mm -hmm. And she's strong. She has her own unique moveset that even the male characters are like, oh, shit, I don't want to mess with her. Yeah, it's I guess true, Captain yeah. Marvel Carol Danvers same way. I guess so. Yeah, I mean, not a Carol like Danvers Carol. fan though. You do? For, I I I am. I do like Carol Danvers. I think she they portray her pretty well. Yeah. What about you, Nova? What makes a uh, a female character? Well, I've been I've been thinking about it since Red asked it because um I mean it theoretically it. It comes down to three characters for me. Um, number one is Wonder Woman. Mm -hmm. Number two is Livewire from Valiant again. I'm just gonna be keep, like keeping people. They're gonna be like, why are you why are you keep talking about Valiant? Um, and number three is Adam Eve for me. So between those three, um, I was trying to figure out why I, I like them all so much, and it comes down to they've all done good things in a story. Yes. Um, so it's it's hard to it's hard to just say traits because it's like why why do you like Superman or Batman because they do badass stuff and they connect with other characters and they get you know they show emotions once in a while but they still show like I'm all about justice I'm all about doing the right thing um, so with like with Wonder Woman I mean if you've seen the movie you can understand why people like her she's you know mm -hmm. damn she inspired more hope in that movie than Superman did in in his own movie so I mean it's there there's that element to it you know she's 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 charming she's a lot of fun um but she's she's strong and she can do really good things like in, in a team in a team setting as well you have a character like livewire as well like i i liked her she wasn't a bad character she starts off as a villain villain in the valiant universe working for harada but eventually you know she joins team unity and she takes over eric's armor nobody's ever done that nobody's ever done that she took it over and it's like moments like that where you just you you get this sense of um, excitement with the character the, again the same way you do with any other character out there, um, and then she becomes like this great teammate who's always got everyone's back. You know she's trying to keep the team together, keep them all happy, stuff like that. So I mean it, it's the same things that makes female characters. Um, and then with Adam Eve, there's a whole bunch of things. You know she's again got insane powers, but you know the way it, it's the fact that she keeps mark motivated and the fact that she's you know such a good team player and she goes through real problems she you know she stopped using her powers and she gained weight and it's like how do i how do i combat this you know this relationship and all these things that just sort of um 
combine. And I, I think one big thing, some of these characters are overly sexualized, but, um, and I don't know, like that's never been a reason for me to like a female character was how much because of, of boobs. How, how much <laughs> of the beige or whatever skin color they are is colored. Like I, that, that's, yeah. I, I don't need that. I need like a character that makes me want to read more about them. And I yeah. guess, um, that's really all it comes down to for most comic book characters. I was going to say a lot of the traits in like Adam Eve, I see it reflected. Like I see her actions like are reflecting like are mirroring uh, storms or whatever. It's just something like a strong origin and then someone that can lead and take charge with yep. a move set that's unique and intimidating all their own. Uh, you know. Yeah. yeah, and it's kind of cool that you guys brought up Eve because I was going to if you guys didn't because she really is on the top of my list. This, the, the way that she is written by Kirkman is just amazing because she makes you fall in love with her because of her personality, the way she's able to take control and do the things that she does. You know, nothing about the looks or the costume or anything else. It's yeah. just straight personality. And Wonder Woman, same thing. You know, yeah, she's a good-looking babe, but come on. Her personality and the way she leads and takes care of situations is just amazing. Yeah. That's, um, that's what it comes down yeah. to. But, you know, when it comes also down to the – you know, we're talking about the sexuality portion, about the boobs and the butts and all those kinds of things. You know, I put a poll out there too, you know, recently about, you know, who – I put a list out there and basically pick who would you like to sleep with type of thing. You know, and it wasn't so much about who it is as I wanted to see what kind of responses we got for this. And it was, there was quite a few actually. And it shows that there are still readers out there that look at the sexuality portion of the comics like, oh my God, she's hot. Look at that cleavage on Black Widow. Oh my God, and that skin tight suit or whatever it might be. Surprising so, amount of She Hulk. Uh, people i was surprised like, on that why one. is she hulk not on the poll it's like all right dude i guess i, I see know. it <laughs> i was surprised we didn't see more people voting for a uh, mystique because everyone has that uh, uh, yeah. taboo oh she can turn into anybody i want anybody so. i know uh. but the, yeah there was a couple and you know, then there was, uh, i had written down two individuals said i don't care if i'm single even if i'm married i would still sleep with this person Jeez. it was like uh, yeah i know like, that really actually shocked me but then again it's just it, it gives, shows you that people still look at that stuff and that's why the comic book writers still put it in there because they know guys are looking at it which yeah honestly sad it really is you know how if, if this was your wife would you want people to be looking at her like this as long as she's coming home with me hell yeah Look, I, <laughs> I like it, Mike. Like, I mean, that's that's always been my outlook. I mean, you know, that's that's what counts at the end of the day. But um, yeah, I, I sort of get it. And then at the same time, I'm like, yeah, they chose Chris Hemsworth for Thor just because he's gonna draw in lots of females. Um, he does do a decent Thor, but I mean, he does. You know, it it's it, it sells like it's been proven. You know, sex sex sells to some degree, and. It does. Even though it's just a drawing, you know, they start casting people and it's like, oh, whatever, Jennifer Lawrence, is that her name? I don't even know. Yeah, Mystique. Yeah, and I was like, oh my god, wow, uh, Scarlett Johansson, wow, yeah, I see it. Yep, now, now it all means something different. Um, but yeah, it's, at least it's not as bad as the 90s anymore. At least we're lucky enough with that. Because that was, um, you know, that was just that was Rob doing his thing. Uh, yeah. 
But look at the new Wonder Woman movie. You know, she's a beautiful woman. The movie was really well done. But it wasn't her body or the lack of clothes or anything like that that grabbed my attention with the character in the movie. Yeah. It was how she was portrayed. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. And um, I, I hope that's the trend we see moving forward. It'll be interesting to see what they do. I guess they're not doing Miss Marvel, right? They're just doing Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to have that black and black suit with the little thunderbolt going through it see i was kind of hoping that they would maybe they will do something like that in the actual captain marvel movie to where they'll like show a brief yeah like a flashback scene something i'm really hoping for marvell in it just because it's marvell but and it makes more sense because her and him were such good friends or whatever that it made sense that she eventually took on the mantle of it um but if they don't mention him in it, man, that's disappointing. <laughs> well, like the one weird female character I just don't get her popularity is is Harley Quinn. Uh, I, I mean, I can maybe there's something about Squirrel Girl that people like. I don't know. But like with Harley Quinn, I've tried. I've read her books and it's like, what? Like, it, I don't know. It started just, off as a great idea and it blew up into crap, in, in my opinion. I mean, I wouldn't want my daughter dressing up as a cosplay or Halloween as Harley. I don't understand it. I don't get it. It's just me. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, though, even though we may not like the story she's in or not, she is in itself a good example of an independent woman because of her background, leaving the Joker from a re- abusive relationship and everything else and then becoming her own. If you look so. at it in the overall perspective of it, I guess. I guess so. But uh, no, I understand that. I really do understand that with Harley. I feel like a lot of the issues for Harley Quinn, uh, I really don't want any creators taking offense if you're like, you know, you're listening or you're really into Harley Quinn or whatever. But I feel a lot of the issues are like fan service issues, mm-hmm. kind of like uh, Deadpool even gets fan service issues where they don't really just make sense and they're just stupid to be stupid. I guess so. I guess that's the appeal. Hey, different strokes. Yeah. But, you know, in comics, so, you know, we have the women's movement really going strong. We have, uh, you know, the gay community going strong. It was, it was it LBGT, whatever it's, it's called? Like, LBGTQ. Yeah. LBGTQ. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Okay, a Q in there now. Okay, <laughs> I knew there was some, I knew I was missing something. I knew it. Thank you for getting me straight on that. So do you guys yeah. think that we've reached the um, pinnacle of, you know, everybody being diversely portrayed correctly in comics? I think there's still a long way to go, but I think this is just the starting point. I mean, the main problem is, is you look online now and you look at in like comment sections on these articles and stuff. And there's so much hate from like, you know, uh, fans and stuff on there. Um, oh, why does this have to be this? Why does this have to be that? And people don't like change is the issue. Mm-hmm. But um, I like you said, there's a lot of diversity now. I think that it's at the point now of where it's just starting. And I think probably like maybe five or six years down the line, it won't be really be a diversity issue. It'll be like the norm kind of thing. It'll finally set in place and people will finally hopefully uh, be used to everything. And we can just get on with the stories and not really worry about, oh, I'm purposely doing this and I want attention for it. Or, oh, I'm doing this and everyone is talking shit to me about it, yeah. you know? It's, uh, I think it's it's this, and I'm definitely, I've been guilty of it. I'm trying not to be so far, but there's also the whole idea of, of jumping to conclusions. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, as soon as you hear there's a change that's going to happen, you're like, I don't care what the story's going to be. I hate it because I hate it. 
when in reality that story might actually be incredible um mm -hmm. which i've heard i've heard mighty thor is actually really really good i haven't got into it once the omnibuses come out i will but i think there's also that too and i, I mean we've all been guilty of it but that's definitely a big part of the uproar and i guess it's sort of waiting for the payoff you know sometimes it doesn't work like secret empire i know for a lot of people hasn't worked so far it's been that change hasn't worked very well but i guess it's something like the mighty thor has so um i think that's something people need to do is just try to keep an open mind there's like so many comics you can read now i mean i just if you're not liking what you're reading at marvel just stop i mean we've all done it all of us here have done it the four guys have done it like whenever there's something we don't like just don't read it there's yeah. literally hundreds of other comics on the shelf you can pick up yep and it's the take, biggest take it, out of, take it out of your pool box put something new in there yeah this is Switch the biggest up. thing i've learned since doing the podcast okay uh and i'm hoping that maybe some of the listeners or fans or whatever can take away from this too when we first started this podcast I was a strictly, basically a character driven, like if there's a new Venom issue, I'm going to buy it because it's Venom. I don't care if it's good or bad. I'm just going to continue to read it because it's Venom, you know? And then as I've gone on, I've learned from y'all and just over time, because I've had to sit down and read a plethora of comic books now that I would have never thought of reading because I'm doing this podcast and stuff and realized it's okay you don't have to continue reading something you don't enjoy just because it's your favorite character or something yep. else. You can put it down and try something completely different. Get a new um, favorite character. Exactly. Or like, I think the biggest example for me that set it in stone is I, Jake of all people, some of y'all might remember Jake from past podcasts and everything else. I'm sure some of the line room, everyone in the line room remembers, but um, he wrote a review for Airboy on Pop Nerd TV. And I read this review over the book and I thought it sounded like the most raunchy, atrocious thing ever. I was like, why are we doing this? This is horrible, you know? And he was like, just read it. And I read it. And even though it sounded like something I would never enjoy, I loved it. It is a great book, like yeah. amazing. So it's one of those yeah. things where you can't be afraid to step out of your box. And sometimes you just have to accept change absolutely and uh, you'll enjoy life a little more that way i think i mean um <clears throat> run your horizons accept the change move on and if you, and if you still didn't like it then move on to something else yeah just mm -hmm. just read some valiant man it's all good all day over there even <laughs> i mean i know like even rusty recently he's been reading this like richard corbin stuff that he he's like the artwork sucks but i just keep reading it it's like <laughs> yeah that's true i don't true. get it are the I, stories good though I've, I've the been stories curious, are so. pretty interesting it's just the art man and it's so weird because richard corbin art is amazing throughout the 70s and 80s and everything else yeah great stuff but just i don't know what it is what happened in this book but it's just it's like cartoony but i don't know how to describe it it's so weird i've seen it shown y'all panels and everything else i just i can't get over it but it's one of those things where i stopped reading it for a while okay because i was like this is i don't like this or whatever but i kept seeing it on shelves and i kept seeing new covers and stuff and i was just like all right maybe i want to go back and try this again i want to give it a second yeah. shot you know and uh, you know that's the thing though it's sometimes you may not like a comic when you first initially start reading it but it leaves an impression and you don't even realize it so gotcha. i went back and i started reading it again 
That was his plan all along. Yeah. Still don't like the art. Sorry, <laughs> Richard. <laughs> it's all good. Oh. But yeah, I think in the end, though, basically when it comes to these characters, if the writer can just give us a nice, long story with a character that we can grow and develop into and start to love, it's really what we want. Yeah. yeah. And, it mean, takes time. Some of these characters have like over 50 years of history in, like, in comics they've been in. If you don't like the past two years, just read the other 50, man. <laughs> 50, exactly. I'm sure you <laughs> haven't read it all, so. I was going to say, you know, even taking it back, okay, you got to think about this like from the perspective of like 30s and 40s and stuff, okay? Uh, we had our Batmans and our Supermans or whatever, right? Then all of a sudden, Batgirl pops up. All of a sudden, Supergirl pops up whatever you know and i'm sure at first back then people were like what is this this is lame you know or whatever but here it is like how many years later and they're still going strong getting their own tv shows and everything else so oh that reminds me i was in a store today and um i was just walking i heard this little girl screaming mom it's Supergirl. can i get it so i mean something's working whatever if it's the yeah. dc sh- girls show the ca- little cartoon or if it's the movies the cw show i mean there's you know it's they're getting kids excited about like little yeah. female girls are getting excited about wonder woman and uh and supergirl it's uh, their own role models all over again i mean i would much rather have my daughter look up to supergirl as a role model than some of these like music artists or actress nowadays yeah exactly yeah no, it's definitely a great time in comics for females. It really is. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff that, um, you know, is people seem to be liking it. So I mean, it's it's definitely it's definitely working. Whatever they're trying. Yeah. Hopefully, the people who are getting upset about it just sort of, you know, move on. I was gonna say, if you really want to go back in time and compare, then to now, this is what I'll end on for this is. Go back and read Silver Age Fantastic Four and look at how they portray Sue Storm in that. And then now come forward and tell me if you think it's better now than then. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. You know, the way she was portrayed in the in Silver Age, Bronze Age, she finally had a son. And, you know, I, I, if I remember correctly, I think she was the first superhero that had a child. Yeah. And, yeah. She's now, progressed a lot. Yeah, she has. To the grave. Quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> the, whole, the whole fantastic. <laughs> I was actually surprised that in one of the latest issues of uh, Secret Empire, we saw the thing. Yeah, Ben Grimm. This, yeah, he's been yeah, he's, he's been running around in I think Iron Man or something, right? Yeah, he popped up in a uh, infamous Iron Man. Um, he popped up in Uncanny Avengers for like a second. Yeah. And now he's popped up in Secret Empire. So I'm like, yeah. something's going on with Thing. They're going to be doing something with him soon, I hope. Yeah. It has that feeling. But where's the other Where's the other three? Well, Johnny's Johnny, like oh, with well, Inhumans now, right? Uh, Johnny is with the Inhumans and he's also with Uncanny Avengers. So. Oh, sure. He was actually a member on Uncanny Avengers. So that's where he's currently been. He was dating uh, Crystal, I think. Or was he dating Medusa? Yeah. No, Chris. I think it was Crystal. No, it might have been Medusa. Been I don't know. Medusa. What a dog! Right. So where's Reed? Reed and He's Sue. a hair fetish guy. Yeah, we just got to figure out where Reed and Sue is. Um, the Maker well, popped up in Iron in Infamous Iron Man. So is are yeah. Reed and Sue still not working with like Molecule Man or whatever to create Franklin. the universe or something? I don't know, man. 
don't know, I, I figured I think everything kind of was created. Everything they kind of disappeared after Secret Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they'd. Um, I think a lot of like this these problems that have happened would not have happened if uh, Reed and Sue were still around. Exactly. Civil War Two. FF. You know, all you just put Reed on the case and he'll fix everything that's going on with Cap. Maybe that's the Secret Empire twist. There you go. It was Reed all along. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. I think we'll conclude that for today. And uh, we have a gentleman who's anxiously waiting for us to give him a call. If you're an Iceman fan, this is for you. Yes. (laughs) Let's do it. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the interview portion of the show, and today we have a special guest. Yes, that is right, a special guest, Cena Gray. Cena, how are you doing today? I am freaking aces. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. It's exciting. Yeah, for sure. I know. I, I hope. I hope. Uh, I hope the internet can hear. Just like I'm, I'm, I'm bubbling with uh, enthusiasm, and and uh, I'm stoked. I can't wait. <laughs> well, sweet. Well, um, let's go ahead and get started um, a little bit about yourself. So for those uh, people out there that aren't familiar with yourself or your work, maybe you can just uh, give us a quick rundown. Who is Cena Grace? Um, he is a conflicted and tortured soul. But what <laughs> really matters is that um, I, I'm, a, I'm a writer and artist in comic books. And uh, lately, the best way to kind of summarize who I am is uh, I used to edit for that dude, Robert Kirkman, who created a little book called The Walking Dead. And uh, and then I started writing and drawing my own comic books, and I've done a handful of lovely series at Image Comics. Um, but lately it's been my memoir that has been sort of, you know, getting people's attention. I, I put out a book in June called Nothing Lasts Forever. And then another book that came out in June that uh, I think really people care more about than any of uh, my slice-of-life stuff is a, a little series called Iceman that I'm writing at Marvel Comics. Um and so that's me. Yeah, I'm, 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 you know, mainly an Image Comics and Marvel boy, uh, through and through. Yeah, and Very a cool. few little independent stuff out there as well as I, I see. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's the best thing about being me is like I love comic books. Um, I love all of the comic books. I will never, you know, like. Uh, if 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 loving comic books is like sexuality, I guess I'm like pansexual because. I, I don't ever want to have to pick between, you know, the, like, handmade indie zine or the, like, beautiful no-brow comic or, like, fanographics all the way up to, like, you know, Marvel and DC and Image Comics and all these people. I just, I love them all. I love them all so much. I love trades. I love floppies. I love zines, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, so uh, I'm all over the place when it comes to uh, where you see my participation in the credits of comics. <laughs> Very cool. So where did comics start for you? Was it as a kid? Did you get into them later on in life? Um, how did it begin? Yeah, the you know, I think I came to comics the same way a lot of people my age did, which is, um, you know, there were movies for Ninja Turtles and Batman uh, in the late 80s, early 90s. And so the grocery stores uh, back then had spinner racks with, you know, legitimate comic books. And so I... I, I know that my first handful of comics were like Batman um, and Aladdin adaptation. Um, 
and yeah and some earlier ninja turtle stuff including like the source material that like you know eastman and laird did uh and from there i lived you know from that point i i lived about five blocks away from a comic store so i used to just go there like every week and spend all my allowance um on comic books and trading cards and it just got worse and worse as i got older when i was like wait people can make money from this too um and not just spend money on it um and yeah and it's it's literally something i've wanted to do since i was a kid uh and the sort of story i always tell new people is like i there's a photo from my uh fifth grade yearbook you know where it says what your dream career is and i said comic book illustrator and and i did it i made it happen <laughs> um so but yeah having a one track mind from like the age of 10 really helped <laughs> i first heard about you on the uh, high and mighty podcast um which is complete coincidence. I don't know if you remember doing that with uh, John Gabris, but um, uh, yeah, yeah I, I still remember his dog licking the lotion <laughs> off my arm in the middle of it, and I think we even—I think that made the the edit as well. <laughs> yeah, um, so I so, started yeah, I looking into very well. <laughs> I started looking into your image stuff, you know, burn the orphanage and um, all the graphic novels you've done. But I was wondering, most people that I guess recently have moved, you know, away from the big two into image and don't really come back um what's it like to sort of go into the big two coming from a you know creator focused world it's been you know what it like i i just have i'm so lucky because the job has just been so not what i would have expected in terms of having editorial you know what i mean and having people who have to like look after this uh intellectual property long after i work on it and i really thought i was going to be micromanaged a bit more than i am and in all honesty this is like again i'm just so happy and lucky and i don't have to like i don't ever have to like play pr but they just really encouraged me to to bring my a game and to push my imagination and to not be scared of bad ideas or to not be scared of taboo ideas you know obviously I'm working with editors and obviously I'm working with gatekeepers to a franchise. Um, but I'm so surprised by how open-minded, uh, Marvel has been and how accepting they are. Um, and, and, and that's been, yeah, that's been the biggest part of the process that's been new to me is just sort of how many eyes look at what I'm pitching and, and, and sort of how much more process there is in terms of, you know, approvals and, and so on and so forth. Um, and that's, been the that, that's been the big difference is you know there's just more people telling you yes or no um and i like and in some ways i really like that because at image you're kind of you're your boss you know what i mean like they give you the here's when this is due at the printer and here's when the files are due to us like these are your deadlines but they don't you know they don't they don't come in and tell you how to make the thing they don't unless you ask and have a great relationship with these people, like they're not going to read your work, you know, three drafts right. of a script the way Marvel will. Um, they don't have time for that. So um, it's cool. You know, like I, I really like which part of my brain working at Marvel uses. Um, and similarly, you know, if I ever need to just kind of let loose, I have image comics and, and I love them both. So yeah, it's, it, I, I'm again, I'm lucky. I'm sure there are horror stories or bad stories, but uh, so far, so good. So it's interesting. Yeah, but <laughs> you're, so like, you're like you... we wanted meat, we wanted gossip. <laughs> no. no, no. I mean, <laughs> I mean, when it, it the, I know you, you're dealing with editors and a bunch of stuff, but the biggest problem I think for modern Marvel writers, anyway, is the fans. Um, 
I'm just it's interesting to hear that you know even though it's one of these companies that sometimes you'll hear is a, a lot of editing and a lot of you know problems arise between creators and and uh, the higher ups. It's it's good to hear that that's not you know always the case. Yeah, and to, and like to be fair, you know, a couple of things that are making this all work in my favor. Like first and foremost, I'm an X Men fan, so like this is already easy. You know what I mean? Like I already know the continuity. I already know the mythology. I already know like what is acceptable in terms of forgetting continuity and like when you're trying to tell new stories. And I also know what fans will beat you up over um, because I am one. So that part really, really works in my favor. Um, and then also, you know, back to the fact that I worked for, for Robert on the walking dead and way, way before that, when I was in high school, I, I was an editorial assistant dash intern at top cow productions. And so I have a lot of sympathy and compassion and understanding for their side of the process. And I, you know, and to that point, like I know when shit's not about me and when it is. Um, and so I just, I can avoid getting hurt feelings or bruised ego at any point in the process. Like I always joke with my friends. Um, but now I'm very public about it. Like, it's like, I always joke. I'm like, look, if they don't mess with my, they don't mess with my gags and my jokes, then I'm good. You know what I mean? Like those, like with Iceman, like that's the thing I'm so protective about is like, I just have to make sure these dumb dad jokes land as like, you know, terribly as I want them to. Um, and, and so far Marvel's been very accommodating with my dumb dad jokes. So, uh, yeah, there's a couple, but yeah that, that's... There's, there's a couple in there that I actually got a, a chuckle out of, uh, the particular with the text messages and, uh, Spider-Man's like, I see your uh, fashion sense as a tingling, or, 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 or it was like, you literally flame on. <laughs> Just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, like I'll throw in, I'll throw in a couple cringeworthy tacky jokes because mm-hmm. I just, that's sort of Bobby Drake. He's a chatterbox. Um, he's like, boy, like I love the way Bendis writes Peter Parker, and it's like the guy's like just so much energy. He's just always talking, sort of like I am right now. Um, so I, I do intentionally throw in some pretty like low hanging bad jokes but like those text messages because those were very i thought people were going to hate those i'm so glad like the internet was like this is a good page (laughs) so while we're talking about Iceman, um yeah let's talk a little bit about that so three issues into it right now uh how many do you have planned out currently um i've got about uh at least 10 planned out be like perfect like hbo season of television and then I, I have about like five to 10 more issues of things I want to do too. But, you know, I'm just trying to be very, uh, safe in terms of what my expectations are for the series. So yeah, I've got about like 10 to 12 that like, I feel very confident readers will get to read. And then, you know, I'm crossing my eyes, nose and toes that sales maintain, and I can tell a few more. Um, but yeah, in my head, I have like a, I have a two and a half year plan. Like if I get everything mm-hmm. I, I kind of would like 25 issues with bobby drake but i'm planning for 10 to 12 just to be safe you know okay well with that in mind you know i've noticed like the first three issues are very heavy talking about you know him coming out he's gay and all that kind of stuff um are we going to see any uh you know storyline coming through pretty soon on regards to some x-men ish types of stuff yeah yeah oh yeah i mean i think that's what's going to be great is I like people don't quite see it so much in these first three issues. They saw it in the third issue, but mm-hmm. what's really going to start to happen is like 
the sort of the mutant metaphor and the bad guy metaphor, it's really going to start to coalesce and converge and clash with Bobby's personal journey pretty much starting next issue with issue four when Doc Hen comes. Okay. Um, because I, I do I do kind of integrate more X-Men into the series. I've just been so uh, focused on making sure that I take care of some of Bobby's emotional journey, you know, before I get to have fun. Because I feel like if there's anything I'm meant to do with this series and with this character, it's to kind of get him comfortable and happy in his own skin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also sort of show how he can become one of the greatest X-Men, you know, in history. And I think he, you know, I think we're starting to see that. Like, no one's really kind of talked about the access he has to these, like, Omega-level powers. Um, and that's going to start happening, and you're really going to get to see that. Not the Omega-level stuff with issue four. You're gonna, Everyone's going to have so much fun with Bobby and Doc Hen. Like, their, their banter is, like, I, I want them to have their own series, like, on the road being, like, you know, just, like, trading barbs um but then with issue five when juggernaut comes in that i think is just basically like it it it, it became my favorite issue and also we have alessandro vt drawing that he drew that issue and it's like it just looks so cool and like i was so excited to just write these intense and really beautiful double page spreads um that are going to pop up in that issue and unfortunately actually <laughs> i i then go far the fuck away from x-men because in issue six and seven it's um a legacy tie-in with the champions and so then it's about the champions and who bobby was in la so to kind of like fake answer your question it's less about bobby engaging in the larger x universe but more bobby with the marvel universe you know what i mean Mm -hmm. because like we're talking you know you're talking black widow uh ghost rider hercules dark star angel you know like and then and then in los angeles which is the home of the west coast avengers if anyone remembers that yes. trading card, oh, yes. um not the card of the series so yeah i, I would say <laughs> oh i i didn't have time for that i just <laughs> i just was like oh yeah look there's wonder man um so yeah and then and then later i can, i'm allowed to say this you know we do see him spend some more time with uh his time displaced younger self which i i want all of you know, all of the pages dedicated to, but I think right now it's just been so much about like, we need to let readers know that this series is about this Iceman, not the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that's a very long and convoluted answer to a simple question. <laughs> that's cool. Oh, um, I wanted to ask, so we've got, you know, Alex is our huge uh, X-Men fan. So I was wondering what was your, um, what was your favorite era of X-Men uh, as you were growing up reading it? Oh, well, I'll give you two because one was my favorite as like a kid. And then the other is my favorite as like a, you know, a grown ass man who like, you know, went to school and like, you know, (laughs) was a little more uh, literate, so to speak. But uh, I would say my favorite was when I was like a kid and uh, Joe Matarera was drawing Uncanny X-Men. Carlos Pacheco was drawing regular X-Men. And it's funny because like, I don't think the stories were particularly good. Like, I, I always joke about how, like, like, that's like, oh, we got such gems as, like, Marrow and Maggot. You know what I mean? And Cecilia Reyes, um, who I love, but and also had a really lovely moment with Bobby when she sort of started to uh, deal with her powers. But 
Um, I just loved the artwork, you know, in that era. And I just loved the energy both of those guys brought to the table. Um, I also similarly like loved when Generation X first first came out and then also the end of Chris Pachalo's run, like right when he was getting that cool cartoony style. Um, and then in terms of like as a grown ass man, uh, I really, truly had like a very uh, exceptional experience with uh, the Grant Morrison run. I really love that run. Um, I don't know if all X-Men fans do, but there's just so much in it that uh, gave me life. <laughs> and also great by the artwork. You're one of the first persons I've actually heard say that most people go with Chris Claremont. <laughs> I think that's like the norm. Like the people. stereotypical yeah, answer. It's it like X-Men, Chris Claremont. That's right? Right. answer. Yeah. No, that's cool. It's cool. It just doesn't, that stuff doesn't, it will, Chris Claremont's run, like, Oh man, I might, I might get in trouble. Broad strokes. <laughs> we like, won't tell him. Well, no, broad strokes. It's it's obviously it it's quintessential X Men. I don't think a lot of it stands the test of time. Like, because I was rereading the Dark Phoenix saga, and I was like, man, these pages are just like packed with like unnecessary dialogue, um, and like, it's just they're you know like comics back then were written a different way. Um, you're, you're, everyone is just like dead silent like sharpening their knives i can hear it no I it's agree. good i just it didn't you know i love it but it, it it doesn't it doesn't necessarily uh warrant rereading same with like my yeah. favorite era like those joe matt issues like what the fuck happened there rogue squadron <laughs> i don't know they up the phalanx or something yeah i was just gonna say i went from reading the grant morrison run and i read like the joss whedon astonishing x-men and then Alex kept pushing me read Claremont. And I tried. I tried like six times to read those first dozen issues. And I just could never get past them. It's just you gotta uh, like pick and choose with that Claremont stuff, man. I I've tried to read it consecutively, and I'm like you said, I'm a big X Men fan. But like going back and trying to read it now, like consecutively, and I'm just like, when's the next thing gonna happen? There's so much dialogue and text. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And it's and it's and it's also what like a decade. Like it's just a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of X-Men. Um, but yeah, no, it's that's I mean, that's the DNA of some of the best stories. I just don't know that I love reading them, whereas like the Grant Morrison run, I do love revisiting. Like I do miss the way he would write Emma Frost. Um, and I do love these like weird turns he would take that still fit within what we understand to be like quality X-Men stories. Again, that might be controversial, but it might not. <laughs> so. Whenever they, okay, I guess Marvel approached you and said, hey, we want you to do a book and everything. And they brought forth the idea of Iceman. Um, when they, did they tell you right away, hey, this is the character you're going to be doing? Or did they kind of like leave you in suspense and then were like, hey, we're kind of throwing around ideas for you to do? Or did they just have it already in mind for you? I done a few stories over in the X-Men offices. And I always let uh, the editor I was working with back then, Daniel Ketchum, I always let him know. I was like, I want more. If you ever have anything, think of me. Um, and I was even going so far as to like cold pitch him some stuff. I was like, hey, like, what do you guys think of this? And he's like, okay, chill out. Like, we'll call you when we call you. Um, and basically, uh, w one day he does call me and he goes, hey, like, you know, as you're aware, Iceman came out two years ago. We didn't really do anything about it because, like, you know, Inhumans versus X Men was happening. Um, and everyone's just like all characters are tied up in sort of that larger story. Uh, uh, but we're thinking of giving him his own title, uh, you know, with this new resurrection relaunch. 
what would you do with the character? And, oh, my God, guys, like, I was just so naive and stupid. I thought he was, like, casually asking me. I didn't realize that, like, four to however many other people were, like, auditioning in this process. And so I just, you know, I... I did my thing. Like I went and thought about the character and I meditated. Not, I don't actually meditate, but I, you know, ruminated or whatever. And, uh, I turned in what I turned in. And it's so funny. Cause like, I look back at that document and, and, and he told me why mine stood out, but it's just so funny. Cause like, I had no idea how to kind of handle the bad guy of the week of it in that pitch. I was just like, you know, and like Bobby figures himself out. Uh, I mean, obviously way more intelligent and, and much more detailed than that. But uh, yeah, that's how it went. And it was, a, you know, we there was some back and forth and they had me kind of, you know, provide more and more detail and, and show them the shape of what I thought this book would look like. And ultimately, yeah, they said, OK, like we're going to yeah, we're going to use you and it's going to happen. And I was like, wait, what? For real? Um, so, yeah, I think that was the process. I'm trying to think if there were any more little details but basically yeah they said we're thinking of you for Iceman tell us what you would do um and and I I did and and yeah over a lengthy process we 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 landed on okay I am gonna do Iceman that's crazy (laughs) blowing my mind today (laughs) (laughs) Um, does anybody else have any other questions regards to Iceman if not uh, yeah uh, well let's move on to some of the indie stuff um now, I know you mentioned, I want to circle back, you mentioned that you had interned at Top Cow. I was just kind of curious, what kind of stuff did you do over there with Matt Hawkins? Um, I didn't work with Matt because he was, like, a way, way, like, way, like, you don't talk to him. Like, he was, like, a big deal. I mean, he is a big deal, but, he like, is. he's down you know, earth, that man's door. <laughs> yeah, but I was I was young, so I was intimidated by him. <laughs> and I worked under um, Renee Gearlings oh. at the time. And so, basically, I, I just managed uh, all of the projects as they were like coming in like organizing them for her so whenever pencils would come in i would do large and small photocopies and like you know and then work on all the spreadsheets to see the progress of the books and the date that the pages were being turned in so renee could look at these things and see how quick or how slow uh titles were moving um i would you know send out comp copies to the creators stuff like that i was you know i i was in high school so i couldn't really do it for too long you know per, per day um, so it was really menial stuff. But then later, uh, when I was working on the high school newspaper and like my copy editing skills were getting swole, uh, then I was, you know, every once in a while they would hand me some books and be like, all right, like go through, find typos, mark them, give them to us. We send them to the letterer. Um, and so I did a lot of like towards the end, I was doing copy editing and stuff, um, which was really exciting. Cause like you, you get so much pride when you find like a mistake someone else didn't. You're like, yeah, that carrot went to the wrong person. Like, ha, I fixed the book. I saved it. <laughs> That's cool. That is cool. Now, I take it this was your stepping stone into um, getting in with Image, uh, working with Kirkman's uh, Walking Dead series. Is, am I correct with that? Sort of. There were, there were about, like, uh, eight years between the two. Oh. And the only reason, yeah, the only reason I'm sort of saying sort of is that uh, the way I got that job at Skybound was um, – a friend of mine who I used to write letters to uh, for the Promethea letter column, Scott Dinbeer, he knew that I had worked at Top Cow. Um, he didn't understand how like low capacity, and he didn't realize that like I was just an intern. But he like knew like oh editorial assistant Top Cow, and then he also knew that the years after that I'd been self publishing and self promoting, and so he knew I was like a little go getter with gumption. 
Um, and when the grapevine, you know, was like asking around for people in Los Angeles for this job, he volunteered my name. Um, not necessarily, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if, I don't know where, what he thought about the top cow thing, but in my head, the story I've created is that he like did not realize I was just an intern. Um, but it doesn't matter. Cause I think the things that got me that job were not, you know, who, whose names I had on my resume, which also at the time I had apprenticed for Howard Chaikin for a few months oh. in college. Like for, I, I took a quarter off from school and apprenticed under him. Um, and I think the thing that really, you know, made Robert decide to hire me was the fact that I, I just, I had an interest in every aspect in the industry and I learned to do everything. And that's something he did too. You know what I mean? Like when he was building his own world and his own empire, he was like, handling every aspect of making a comic, like including lettering them, I think way back in the beginning. Um, and you know, so that, that party was like, okay, this guy, he gets it. He gets how hands-on image comics is going to be. And he gets what it takes to like, make sure something kind of, you know, has the care it needs to be a good comic book. And again, it also goes back to like, I just like love comics. Like that's undeniable. And I'm never going to stand in the way of a good comic, you know? And I think that's the sign of anyone who really belongs in this industry yeah. is if they, you know, if they'll sacrifice everything to make sure the book looks good. Well, I got to sure. ask the standard question. I'm sure you've been asked before, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. So in editing, uh, with Kirkman, any great edit stories to that, something that just kind of pops out like, Oh my gosh, this almost went through, but didn't because I caught it. Uh, with with Robert and yeah, stuff like that, yeah. or just in general, or in general, um, yeah. You know, the main, the craziest thing I think sometimes would be like, yeah, I would say when it comes like the craziest kind of errors I found were mainly if like files were turned in wrong, and and you're like, why does this look weird? And then suddenly you're like, that's why it looks weird. Fuck. Um, but I, I can't. It's like I'm not being coy. It's just been like three years and. You know, you never want to remember those moments anyway. So I just can't remember anything specific. But stuff like that, if like, you know, if, if something was turned in wrong and it gets through the pipeline and, and then suddenly it's like the day it's due with the printer and you're like, you have to tell your colorist, like, uh, you sized this like way wrong, dude. You need to like get back home and send me these reformatted files. Those are sort of the like, what uh -oh moments. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, since we're getting close kind of towards the end here, um, one of the things that we always ask our guests, and most of the time we get the same answer over and over and over again, but um, what comics are you currently reading? What's in your pool box right now? Well, back to being, back to my sexuality in comics, I'm very polyamorous with my stores. So I sadly do not have a pull box. Um, I am earnestly reading all of the X-Men titles. Also, I need to read them to know what's going on. Um, and I loved Supergirl Being Super by Mariko Tamaki. Um, I love everything she does. I also am becoming a huge Joelle Jones uh, zealot. I love Shade the Changing Girl from Young Animal. I love Street Angel by Jim Rugg. Um, I, you know, I'm checking out, I'm still checking out a lot of the books Skybound puts out. Like I, I, you know, I'm an, I'm a legit Invincible fan. I'm so sad that that book is ending. Yes, I um, love it. Yeah, no, oh my God. I have like 10 pages of original art from that book. Oh, I'm jealous. Um, yeah, and I'm a big Image Comics fan. Oh, I've been reading a lot of the Archie books. Like I just grabbed the last issue of uh, Adam Hughes's Betty and Veronica. I think it's the last issue. I can't tell. 
Um, I love like I love this like weird modern interpretation of Archie. That's been my jam lately. Mm-hmm. And uh, at Comic Con, I picked up Monstrous and Seven to Eternity. Um, and then yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm all over the place. Uh, wow. I, I picked up a manga. What? We we say wow because most of the time. When we ask a creator this, they're like, I don't have time to read. That is literally like the most popular (laughs) answer. 99.9%. You're like one of the first to say, oh, I read this and this and this and this and this. It's like, oh, it's so cool. And it's all image. Yay. (laughs) I'm an image fan. Yeah. (laughs) No, guys, I fucking fucking love comics. Like, you know, this is a really hard industry. Like, you shouldn't do it if you don't love it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and then I don't know. I, I also follow certain friends and creators and stuff like that. Like, you know, Becky Cloonan just put out a really lovely book by Chance of Providence at Image. Um, I'm trying to think of some other people. I don't know. Nicole Gu and Dave Baker, they're Los Angeles-based artists. They're uh, they they put out a bunch of really cool independent stuff. Um, and then yeah, I'm like a long time Daniel Klaus, like uh, Adrian Tomina. You know, that's awesome. So now, real quick, I wanted to ask: um, Do you have any plans to do something back at Imaging? Because I think it's been a, it's been a little bit since you've released something. I'm giving myself time. I just, mm-hmm. you know, I burned myself out real hard mm-hmm. uh, in 2014 doing. I was drawing three different books: Little Depressed Boy, Penny Dora, and Burn the Orphanage. And I, um, it's it's I just you know, and I've also had some health issues. For anyone who's read Nothing Lasts Forever, and I I kind of learned like it's just not worth exhausting yourself. Like it's way, way better to take your time and put out something you're proud of. So I, I'm taking a break, like as an artist, um, I'm going to be doing some more stuff for this musician, Jenny Lewis. Um, but yeah, no, my, my heart is an image and I just kind of figure whatever I do next, I want to come real correct. And I want it to be sort of a special magical project. Uh, I'm probably going to go graphic novels moving forward. I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm just not putting myself to any uh, limits or something. I'm not. I'm not stressing myself out about it. Nothing lasts forever. So uh, I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about that. How did this come about? Um, I, I was just going. I was going through a really hard. I was going through a really hard time, and I couldn't draw like anything for the life of me besides these journal entries where I was chronicling being really sick and um, being really depressed and lost. And I didn't know what to do with the pages, but I kept showing, you know, my friends and colleagues in the industry. And I just remember Nick Dragata, like Nick Dragata, East of West, Nick Dragata being like, this is great, man. Keep working at it. And I was like, what? You know, like that man's a master storyteller and he's telling me to like, you know, publish these pencil pages. Um, And then more and more as the sickness was taking over and as I was just losing myself to this thing, it became clear like, this was the only story I wanted to tell. Um, and for people who don't know what it's about, it, it's just that. It's about kind of, I, it's kind of saying goodbye to your 20s, you know? Like, it, it was just the end of so many things in, term, in terms of also, like, the recklessness of youth. Um, you know, I, I just can't have that anymore. Uh, same with, you know, reconciling so many different relationships and histories. And it's all in there. And it just turned into this very personal and intense and vulnerable book and uh and i think it you know it helped me to make it and and people who read it if they if they get it at the right time in their lives it really helps them to read it as well so i just sort of swallowed my pride and 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 put 
as much truth and vulnerability as I could on the paper. Um, I don't know that I can do that again in the same way, but I think it was really important to kind of wrap up a lot of threads and themes I'd started with my first memoir graphic novel, Not My Bag. Um, so sort of it's like Not My Bag, Self-Obsessed and Nothing Lasts Forever are very uh, great sort of set of books to read because like Not My Bag is very structured and a very simple story. And then Self-Obsessed is like a big mess because it's a collage of strips from all over my, you know, from high school into being 27 or 28. And then Nothing Lasts forever is just basically it puts a cap on all that and it and it and it has a lot of insight into that material and um i'm really proud of it it's also you know it, it it's hard for me to think about people reading it just because like i admit some pretty intense stuff and i don't know it, but you know i did it and i'm really happy about it and uh i'm glad that people i'm i'm most glad that people get what it is i think i would be ashamed of it if people didn't if people reading, if people didn't get the reading experience, I wanted them to have from it. Um, and, and, and the more people reading it, it's like, Oh, I did it. I landed the plane. I did exactly what I set out to do, which was to just make people feel for a, a really crazy chapter in my life. And, and I don't know. Yeah. And I think also, you know, it's, it's good to talk about being sad. People don't talk about it. Um, especially, you know, I'm Persian, I'm half Persian and like, you know, Persian people do not talk about the things that are glum, you know what I mean? Or, or gloomy. Um, and so I find, and I find it productive to talk about that stuff. I think it takes a lot of power away from pain. If you can put words to it, if you have that ability, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I've re I haven't read too many memoirs in, uh, maybe like, uh, autobiographicals, but for the most part, they've been pretty good. I mean, um, dark night by, uh, how could I forget his name right now? Like, oh, Paul D. D. That's it. So, Dark Knight of True oh, Diamonds, right, by yeah. Paul D. Yeah, where he talks about getting yeah, uh, getting assaulted um, and robbed, but something like that, or you know, to some extent, Airboy. Um, they've all. It, it's great for readers to get an insight into the mind of like these writers who, I mean, in the past were just sort of you know you'd see Jack Kirby and oh that's the king you know, but I'm sure there were a lot of things that um, you know there are a lot of ups and downs in his life as well. That it's it's always as a reader myself it's always nice to um, get that sort of personal piece of a creator's pie yeah it took me a long time to also be cool with it for me as a person like I was like oh if I do this then I can't be this other thing and then I said to myself dude look at Anders Nielsen like he's one of the greatest like living illustrators that are out there but then he puts up enough and very simple books you know like uh, there's a book called The End and I think it's like mainly like stick figures and like scritchy scratchy pencil, but it's like about, you know, him watching his lover die. And it's like, so, um, and, uh, you know, I think there's just a space for, for all of it now. You know, I think, I think comics should kind of be all kinds of stories, not just superheroes punching each other. <laughs> yeah, unless it's invincible. <laughs> yeah. Then it needs to be just that. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, one final thing that I want to uh, ask you, just for our fans' sake, um, do you have any cons that you're going to be at coming up? Uh, is there any way that anyone that's listening right now could maybe meet you? I will be at FlameCon, uh, which is, I think, August like 28th and 21st or something in New York. And then I'll be at the Palm Springs Comic Con at the end of August. And uh, yeah, after that, I don't really know because I've had some health stuff come up, so I need 
and kind of take a break and focus on just the work. But, you know, people just need to follow me on social media at Cena Grace on Twitter and Instagram. Those are my favorite ones. Um, or I'm on Facebook and, you know, I, I, I I'll, I'll let people know, but um, I am planning a West Coast tour probably in September, or October. I just don't know yet. So, yeah, keep an eye out. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Well, hey, man, we appreciate you coming on the show. It's always such a pleasant surprise getting someone. Uh, you were very open, very open book. And I mean, you were easy to talk to and everything else. I mean, some people we get, they are pretty closed off short answer, but you're really great interview today. Howard Chickens. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we did have an. In- OK, it's funny you brought up Howard Chicken earlier because me and Red Skull interviewed him one time and it was a very very interesting conversation because I don't know if something happened that day to him or not, but he was really wound up. He was so wound up. If you survived interning with Howard Chakins, you know, wow, you can do anything. (laughs) I I thank you. I don't know. It just comes, again, it comes from like, look, I've lost everything. I'm fine to just, you know, it's it's easier to be open and honest than to like try and and mince words and stuff. But no, thank you guys. You guys are lovely and these questions were really um, fun and easy to answer so i don't know i i I give to get i get to give but um thank you guys